Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hi, welcome back to Therapists Uncensored. This is Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. And I'm Patty Allwell. Today, we wanted to talk to you about anxiety. Um, it's a topic that we all struggle with. And the way I like to think about it is that it's noise in the system. And what I mean by that is that we people think of it as an emotion, but it's not. It really is something that keeps us from feeling our emotions. Yeah, it makes me think of like the hum when you're listening to your headphones or something and it's humming. That's not the actual sound. Right. That's a, that's a noise in the system. Exactly. The what you're trying to transport through your headphones is the sound. So are what is what you're saying, Patty, that feelings are the sound are the music. Exactly. And anxiety and worry is the hum. Yes. And a lot of times the feelings we're trying But it to, feels like a feeling. I know that. But a lot of times the feelings we're trying to get away from are uncomfortable. You know, either we're angry or sad or upset, and the sort of worry kind of makes us feel like we have more control over this than we do. So what you're saying is that we're feeling something going on in our system, and we can tell, and it's discomfort. We're feeling some level of discomfort, and we don't like to, I don't, we don't like to feel discomfort, and so we kind of instinctually try to go to some place of power, some place of feeling of control. And if we worry about something, we feel like we're doing something. So exactly. if I worry, I'm like, okay, I'm not helpless. I'm, I'm, I'm in active state of doing something. At right. least that's what you're we- You're either planning or you're, you're sort of- Rehearsing. Rehearsing some disaster and figuring out your contingency plans. Or there's also a piece of it that is about um, assigning blame. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Either it's my fault because I'm a horrible person and it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't a horrible person. If I hadn't or, have said that. Right. Or it's your fault because you're a horrible person. And some of that low-grade worry is like, as we say, it's not very conscious, right? It's just that we're, we're feeling this sense of something. And if we start to worry, and half the time we're worrying, we don't even really know what it is. We have to kind of, I'm feeling this, what's worrying me? And we do like this search. Right. And right. part of how I can tell that, that it's not uh, one of the kind of core feelings is sort of when I visualize it, it's it's uh, it's in my head. Exactly. It's it's uh, spinny and um, a little tornado-ish or churning. active churning, but it feels like it's up up in my head versus sometimes more of these core emotions you can locate more deeply in your body. So that's another way of distinguishing them. Yeah, and from an evolutionary point of view, this was really adaptive when we were out on the savanna and in the forest, you know, and sort of being always alert to problems, always, you know, checking for danger, always trying to figure out what our contingency was. But in our current situation, um, that kind of almost... Um, I mean, paranoia is too strong a word, but but that sort of constantly looking for the problem, constantly sort of predicting bad events coming, 
um, is not very adaptive anymore. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm one of these people that, you know, I have this idea that if I can see it coming, it's going to make it better. So, right. <laughs> so I want to know, you know, I've, I'm definitely the person sitting, you know, like that can scan and, uh, knows the fight that has already happened, but is not happening anymore when you walk into the room, you know, that type of thing. And, um, but it's, it's sort of like being, being able to look around the corner for danger. Right. And so there's some false idea, I think, but there's an idea that if we can see it coming, it's going to be better. Right. And from a, you know, in certain, um, in a certain way, you're sort of doubling your suffering. So, you know, bad things will happen. We'll get sick. We'll have an accident. Something, you know, people will hurt us. But the worry about it is sort of an added level of suffering that's kind of optional. Well, that's a nice thought if it's actually optional, right? Yeah, a lot of <laughs> so people we... think of it as, I just wish I could get rid of it. And, you know, one thing we left out that I find... Um, a lot of people experience is also superstition that if they actually don't worry and they trust that something's going to be okay, that in and of itself is going to create the catastrophe that somehow the, the idea of worrying wards off the negativity. Well, I really like what you said earlier about it being feeling, it gives us something as if we were doing something positive, right? Like it, it tricks our brain into that we're being productive. But I also think some degree, I just think about how productive I've been sometimes in the middle of the night worrying about something. So <laughs> let's not <laughs> yeah, let's knock not, it. <laughs> let's not knock it entirely. Cause, well, and I loved your, I loved your, um, bringing up the idea that if it's almost superstition, there's actually a, a term for that complex equivalency. So, uh, that what that means is that, you know, if I worry, I will keep things from happening. I will really remain in control. Right, because I, I have, have I'm that. Doing... I must have that. I am certain <laughs> now. I have a new diagnosis I can add to my list. Thank you, Also, Patty. it's sort of like it won't change. Like, it's not mm. only if we aren't worrying, we can't control it, but we, we kind of worry that we worry that if we, <laughs> if we aren't worrying we won't be able to make it get better. Right. We won't be able to make it. And if we're not worrying, we're not attending to it. And if you think about the worry, it at least does do some, it does do some great things for it. It keeps our attention on something. And so it depends on what we do with it. That's what's going to be a fun way. I guess not fun, but a really important way that we're talking about it today. When we start talking about how to move um, anxiety and worry into a different place is not to send the message of worry and anxiety all bad. We need to rid you of it. It's like, I think of it as a communication, like it's telling you something, something's going on. And right. so it's the information's coming in. It's what we do with it once we sort of can recognize we're experiencing it, like use it as good information, but it doesn't mean we have to stay there. Right. Because to solve the problem, you need to be present and clear headed and really in touch with what's going on. And the worry gets in the way of that too. Right. So to bring in the interpersonal neurobiology piece, it's we're trying to get our prefrontal cortexes back online exactly, and not just be run by the amygdala and the limbic system. Yeah. And that, that's that's kind of it's like that our foot is resting on the accelerator a little bit. And and part of this is an even more primitive part of our brain. I mean, when they look at the part that, you know, developed out on this on the savanna and in the in the jungles, that's a really primitive system that's scanning for danger and trying to plan routes of escape, you know. So I'll give an example of my 
just personal worry and how, um, and then we can talk about how to undo it. And, and, sure. and if either of you have any too, because sometimes oh, I never worry because <laughs> sometimes we can get so heady. Right. And, but like one thing I was just thinking of as we were sitting here, it's like, what do I worry about really? You know, I, I feel very fortunate, but so I could find that I have a buzz in the system that I'm worried our equipment's not going to work. Ah, okay. <laughs> because we've had a couple of little glitches, as most podcasters do. And so, like, that's running in my background. And and so, as an example, like, what do we do with this? Sure. Well, and and having that buzz running is making you less present to do the podcast. That's right. Right? So, we, so if we want a really simple way to to interrupt that, we pause. Pausing is so powerful. Because you start to say, well, what is it I'm worrying about? Okay, well, what's what what are the what's the story I'm telling myself behind the the equipment not working? So Sue, what I'm going to suggest, since you have given us this example, is that we just pause and ask you to tell us what the story is in your head. You know, okay, you're worried the equipment's going to fail. What's going to happen? What What's the story you're telling yourself? Right. And I, I could feel it happen very quickly as I tuned into it, which was, you know, there's first just the annoyance of making a recording and having it not go well. I mean, um, not being able to capture it and just our trouble and our time because we're busy. Um, but as I sunk down a little deeper, it's also like I, I think about previous podcasts we've put out that I've been worried about our audio, and I I wonder how we come across, mm. um, and how what's you know uh, it begins to get more. I can feel it like drop down where it gets more personal. Like, what do people think of me if I'm putting messy audio quality up? And what are they? Other... How are they judging you? Exactly. Um, and then what does it mean that we're putting together something shoddy? If mm -hmm. we aren't, by the way, <laughs> but, um, but I'm just but trying to use fear. the example of beginning to peel it back, right? That it begins to come back into sort of my own personal insecurities of this exposure. Um, it's, it's another kind and level of exposure of exposing a mistake. Right. So that's a really wonderful explanation of what you think will happen, right? That people will. Oh yeah. And I can you. keep going further, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's actually so, useful too, right? Because that if like the more, okay, well, so I expose a mistake, what's wrong with that? And then, then the idea is we go deeper, farther and farther. Deeper. So if I, you know, if this exposed mistake happens, then, so you can feel it like, oh, well then people will know what, whatever. That I'm like, not competent. That I'm not competent or that. So it goes into these much more highly personal, um, sort of dark places. And I would have never gotten there without attention to it and really thinking like, what, what's the buzz? Yeah. Well, and you might not, and that is part of what we were talking about earlier. You might not want to go there. There's no. a level like who wants to go there. It's a lot easier just to get preoccupied and make sure we do it well than to slow down and go into the deeper part. And yet, as you were even talking, the visual is you, as you were talking initially, your hand was near your head and the, and the more you were talking, you started putting your hand closer to your chest and then your stomach and your, and your body, you could feel it go down as yeah. I was watching you talk about it. 
Well, and that's wonderful because the next step is to go down into your body and talk and sort of concentrate on what you actually are feeling in your body. So not the story you're telling yourself, but what the what's going on in your body at that point. And Sue, can you tell us? Well, I'm getting, I think, you know, with Anne's observation, I think that was right on that, like, I'm getting more present. And, you know, I have self-consciousness about talking about mistakes on the air, which is what we're doing right now. Um, so I have a meta worry. But um, but just for this example, like, I, I can feel myself settling. And, um, and I can relatively, like, like, this is a really small example, right? Because it's a small worry. Um, but it, it, so, yes, I can feel my body settling and um can you talk about where you felt the um concern about making a mistake? Um I f it, up in my head. Okay. Uh, well, at least I start remember it starts Where do you up feel it head. now? I feel pretty good now. Okay. It's already done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Sue, done. <laughs> Sue skipped uh, on to step number 3, which was having compassion for herself with this worry, you know, sort of accepting that hey, you know, um, yeah, I actually feel like, uh, being vulnerable on air is a, it's part of our, um, it's part of what we are telling other people to do. So if we can't do it ourselves, that we're frauds, right? Absolutely. And especially since we can get you to do it for us. That, that's <laughs> exactly. Really I'm the works. only worried person. in the room. <laughs> actually, Patty had an example just to, um, do this again. To, um, sure. Yeah, I was telling Sue before we got on the air, I have been redoing my house. And for the past month, I, I have not been able to stay at my house. And this was unexpected because the contractor assured me that I would be able to stay in the house while the construction was going on. That's shocking. I bet everyone, all the listeners out there that have ever <laughs> done construction are, are sitting in surprise. You mean they told you one thing and it's a lot longer? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, keep going. We got that. And so, you know, like I am literally staying on a, on a friend's couch for over a month, which is very disruptive. And so... I am spending a lot of time worrying, spending a lot of time spinning about the contractor and what's going on and, you know, what he's doing and not doing. And, you know, it's a very, and whether I did the right thing by choosing him or whether I have been firm enough with him or, so there's a whole lot of stories I'm going through in my head right now. Um, and when we were talking about this episode, I realized that when I slow down and go down in my body, there's this real sort of, um, fear that I am alone in this, that I will have no help, that it will, you know, I'll be on somebody's couch forever, you know, and, and that's not rational. I have lots of friends and resources but something really primitive is getting activated with being out of my home and being um, vulnerable in a way that I, I wouldn't have expected. Yeah, and I can, I can feel that with you as you're talking about it. And to be able to get in touch with that allows you to really, it's a, such a, a wonderful and vulnerable example. So thank you, because you're kind of feeling the the deepness of what's stirring that and if not if you didn't let yourself do that is so likely to stay in that 
more control phase, like anxiety to control, anxiety to control, worry to calling, worry to try to master everything and to take the risk to slow down and go, wait, this isn't really about mastering. It's about really facing some of the worst fears. And as you did, you're able to go, wait a minute, that's not reality. And it keeps you from needing to perseverate on control because anxiety and control go hand in hand. And we haven't talked much about that, but if you think about your most controlling aspects of your personality, peek under that and look at the anxiety. And oh, so yeah. instead of going into the master control mind, you kind of went down and like, okay, I'm, this isn't going to happen forever. And the other part that gets stirred for me is the blaming, mm. the, you know, judging who's at fault. Is it him or did I do something wrong in the way I've contracted with him? And this allows me to have compassion for myself. I mean, I don't, you know, do construction projects on my home every day, but even a little bit for him, you know, cause I know that he's got a lot of other projects he's worrying about. And that doesn't mean I shouldn't be, um, insisting on fair tra treatment, but I can feel that it's not as personal, that it's not like an attack on me. That's great. And then what you do, I'm going back to the interpersonal part then as you slow down, you're having self-compassion for yourself. You end up being able to actually have compassion for him. So when you do go, well, obviously you're not just going to rest in that element of, okay, I'm going to calm myself down and then not call my contractor. That's certainly not what we're trying to say is move out of action. It's just, you got more connected to yourself. So now you can really engage with him in a way that stays more relational. Whereas if we're up there spinning and we're not doing it, we're not going to be very relational and now you can call them from a whole nother level. Exactly. Let's pause to thank our sponsor, Leslie University Mental Health Counseling Programs, where you can help others transform their lives with creativity and compassion. You can apply a social justice lens to mental health care and achieve your own goals through their master's and PhD programs. Online at leslie.edu slash mental dash health. Now let's return to our podcast. So we're, we're doing this very quickly because we're practiced at it. But if we were to just sort of go slower in the, all the things that are actually happening to deconstruct the worry, um, because it seems like, oh, well, we wrapped that right up, right? Um, and, and my worry about <clears throat> the sound, you know, just, oh, and I said, oh, it's done. Um, but what's actually happening is that we're, re by, you know, there's the name it to tame it, where that by you, by any of us identifying more what it is that's actually happening, even, even I'm really worried, or I can feel myself nervous, I'm nervous about something, even like that, which is, Patty, I think somewhere you were going and, and doing it in steps, mm -hmm. so that you name it, um, you identify it. You understand the story you're telling yourself. So that, and that's a really a lovely, so you understand the story you're telling yourself, which by the way, when we're worrying, it doesn't feel like a story. So just to be clear, um, you went from worrying about the contractor, about the dumb contractor and you know what he was doing <laughs> to going into this more dark place of feeling like that you're alone in the world and that you could always be alone in the world. And what have you gotten yourself into and who's going to be there for you? Something like that. And that's a pain, that's a much more viscerally painful place. So help us understand why that's better. Sure. Than worrying. Well, I think if we're worrying, we are not present in our own life. I mean, and there's, we are either in the future or in the past 
And being present in our own life, even if it's painful, is rich and healthy and connecting. And, you know, we can't, if we're not in that ourselves, we can't have good relationships with people. We can't, you know, we're sort of, we're sort of crippled. And we, that's such a great way to say it. And we, we are so afraid of those depth of feelings, but actually it's the fear that actually controls us much more than actually experiencing the feeling of loneliness or letting yourself have those feelings. They end up getting diffused much more than the pushing away of the feeling with the anxiety. Right. And because the other thing that happened very quickly, again, I think just because we're practiced at this is that you didn't go into feeling alone and that was the end of it. What actually happened um, is that it came with self-compassion. Yes. And so I just want to make that a separate, like, right. so, um, and like that I can feel compassion for myself around, um, well, most people would be really scared to death to talk into a mic. So of course it's natural that I would be worried about how that this audio sounds and how this is coming across. Like that, that is an, an example of the episode you did earlier and with, um, Chris and Neff, of those concepts of self-compassion and we did it so quickly it almost you couldn't even hear it but that that's the idea is that you go you go to the deeper place you identify what it really is it's further down in your body or it's or you can feel it like feel more honest and then from there and you might even put your hand over your heart or like we want to or i have this image of like touching your cheek mm -hmm. you know or a child's cheek with your hands like cupping your, you know, like something really sweet. We just give it that little bit of attention and then we can move on. And so the idea isn't to wallow in these more dark feelings. It's that like we touch them and then we go and then we go right. to where we, the next thing that we want to be doing. Well, we touch them and then we hit the compassion, yeah, that's, which that's allows what I mean. us. Yeah. And what Kristen Neff talks to, which would be wonderful in this place is once we feel the the compassion for self, we feel the connection to the humanity and what you're feeling, who would not feel distressed having to be on a couch and then find that you can't be in your base in your home. And we forget. Yeah. And one of the things you said at the beginning is that, you know, we don't need this because we're not on the savanna. And yet I think what our savanna is now is isolation, is oh, the connection yeah. to loneliness. Like think about what is your savanna. And that's probably different for different people. Like what is in knowing what your ultimate Savannah is, what is it that feels the most threatening to you? And for us, it is isolation, loneliness, you know, having to do it on your own, things like that. Those are really core to us as humans and they do feed, they are at the root of so much of what keeps us in a spinny place. And I think, you know, we're, 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 just want to tap into this one thing is we're talking about one specific worry of each of us, but I don't know about you, but sometimes you just have perpetual ongoing, more displaced worries, like a fitting in or, you know, that are chronic. It's so in the, sometimes it's not as easy to find the specific thing, but you can still take, what am I, what is the overall fear that I'm having in this near, that's deeper that matches all these and being able to take it down you also, then you actually have a sense of mastery of control once you take it down into your body and have compassion instead of the preoccupation being the feeling of control and the anxiety kind of having self-compassion gives you actually a true mastery. Actually, you really hit a sense of control. And I love that you said that because so often when I work with couples, what I find, especially in new couples, is that their, try, their worry is 
that if he or she really knew me, right, this wouldn't work, mm -hmm, right? Or mm -hmm. they would reject me or, you know, and so there's a whole lot of um, sort of posing and kind of controlling because of those worries. Mm -hmm. And so do I, you mean like as an example of that when you go on um, match.com uh, match or, or your favorite uh, Bumble or what have you, Tinder, um, and that you, like if you're a guy, you might shave a few inches, off, I mean, add a few inches to your height or a few years uh, off your age or <laughs> uh is that is that kind of what you're referring to yeah and i mean i really always often but that's kind of dangerous because as soon as you meet me you're going to find out that's mm -hmm. not correct but some of this is even more you know i'm really patient and well you know maybe you're not right well maybe <laughs> or, you believe that you are but when your partner starts seeing you as impatient that's a very anxiety producing event. Yes. Yeah, so you have to go, no, I'm not impatient. Stop saying that. <laughs> right. Well, and so what I often say to people in couples is the only thing you really have to offer is yourself. And so, um, any kind of promoting yourself or presenting yourself in a way that's not consistent or authentic is going to backfire in the long run. Cause once people get to know you, they will find out exactly who you are. And the nice part of that is that then you can stop that worrying. You can accept that, yeah, we're all kind of flawed, but we're flawed in different ways. And, you know, really begin to have that self-compassion for yourself that, you know, yes, sometimes I'm impatient, but. And even, I agree with you, but even before you can get there, um, even accepting the impatience is like, I think what I hear you saying is uh, with two people being able to go, what is the ultimate fear? And it's so amazing when you could get somebody down to actually naming. So what is, if that happened then, and if he was to do that then, and you get down to the nut of what the fear really is and what the deeper part, you just see this deep compassion go between two people immediately. It's not called upon. It's like, oh, that's what's causing that. Exactly. It, I'm sure y'all have experienced the same thing, this beautiful warmth of feeling when you see two people actually connect to the deeper part, as opposed to when they're caught in the anxiety flipping back and forth. Okay. So as we wrap up, um, this is what we want you to do, listeners. Wherever you're listening, if you're at the gym or in the car or, you know, being streamed, wherever you are, I imagine each one of you listening can come up with a worry and and to we would like for you to quiet yourself and to begin as Patty said to name this story um identify what you're feeling grab grab the worry and then we want you to peel it back in what two three four layers you know it's not your first thought like take your first thought and then your second and go deeper and don't quite believe yourself and investigate, be like a hound, go down, 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 down. And the question to ask yourself is what'll happen if that's true? What'll happen if that's true to take you down layer by layer? That's, that's a good one. And then when you're down there, uh, what's the most important piece that we need to be sure. And I'm asking you, the listener, this to answer this question. What's the most important piece as we identify it, we, 
uh, dig for it. We unpeel it, what it really is about. What's the most important piece to add to that? So are you getting it? Can you think of it? So we have to do this with self-compassion. Without it, we're just ruminating, right? We're just sort of self-analyzing and and having a relationship with ourselves and digging ourselves into a rabbit hole. And uh, yeah, and so I we would have to add the self-compassion. Yeah, I would add that we're not having a relationship with ourselves. Right. We're in this sort of very unproductive place. I so, really like the image of, um, this goes back to, so many of these things do go back to mindfulness, but of the two wings, and one of the wings is being able to see things accurately and tell the truth, which is some of what we've been talking about. And then the other one is love and care and connectedness and self-compassion. So it's not just brutal honesty and ripping us apart or ripping up, you know, the other person that you're at fault for the contractor. Um, but it's to see it accurately and to have compassion. And to see it accurately is brave to say, because, you know, sometimes our preoccupation, did I say it wrong? Did I do it? Did I hurt? I think I hurt their feelings. I think I hurt their feelings. I always, you know, it's like, Maybe I did, you know, because sometimes we can do that. And sometimes right. I can be too critical or too, and you know what? It's hard not to be. So it's like even with your worst falls, if you if, if going down, 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 as Sue was mentioning, lands you in some place that feels like a self-criticism. Yeah, it'll probably be kind of dark. Yeah, give yourself <laughs> that room to go, man, it's hard. That having That is really hard to really accept that sometimes I think I was too critical or too but it's okay that I am. And then as, as, as Dr. Neff pointed out, going to over to that many people, most people can go there and I can forgive myself and my friend can, you know, however it is, but going to that last place. Yeah. And the, the end result of this is really having a vibrant, juicy life. Juicy. Being present in your good word. vibrant, juicy life. And that's where I want to be. I don't want to be spinning around about my contractor. All right. Welcome to Ask a Therapist. Let's do a couple of shout outs to our listeners. We have uh, Natalie from Waco and Deborah from San Rafael, California. Both of uh, these listeners gave us some really constructive, helpful feedback. We really appreciate your input. So today's question is from Elizabeth in Phoenix. She writes, Hey, Austin Shrinks, love your podcast. Thanks for sharing and keeping it real. In that vein, I have a question. I just listened to episode 19, and I got a lot of ideas about preventing blowups. But what do you do once you've gone over the edge and you or your partner are already in rage? Suggestions, please. It's a great question because it highlights that Every one of us goes there. We all go through rage. And I'd say the first question is to recognize, I mean, the first answer that I would give is to recognize your system is in way overload. And that's the primary focus. The focus is the overload, not the whatever created the overload. And we tend to want to try to stop what happened that created the feeling in us. But once we've hit rage, that's really absolutely irrelevant at the moment. The, the focus is how do I get my body back under control? Right. We're not in a place to do any kind of problem solving or to do any reflection or probably whoever's with us is probably freaked out because we're enraged anyway. So they're not going to be in any receptive place either. 
Right. So you want to just go, okay, I'm in, in the faster we can acknowledge that to ourselves and to whomever's with us to say, I am in such overload. I am, as Dan Siegel says, flip your lid. I'm out of like, and you acknowledge it. Full. Full. I'm full. That's a great one. And like, I've got to get myself calmed down before we can go further. And if you, that's doing two things. It's telling yourself you need to calm yourself down. So it's turning you more inward. It's also communicating whoever you're with that you're not, not necessarily pointing the finger at them. You're saying I'm in overload. I need help. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. Right. It's hard to feel more incited. And a couple of suggestions, remember our bodies in physical overload, literally, and with the uh, chemicals running in our body, we might need physical exertion. And that's one reason we start to scream and yell is that we're actually needing exertion in our body. And so what else can you do with that energy? A couple of different ideas. Go up to a wall when you're in that, I am so upset, I need a minute. You go up to a wall and push on it really, really hard. Or you grab a towel and you wring it. But you do something that can get that physical body connection. Right, because just a quick reminder that part of what's happening is your body is full of all that norepinephrine and adrenaline trying to keep you safe. And so if there's a safe discharge, riding your bike, running stairs, some of those things can sometimes help release that and get that off. Um, and then uh, the other side of that would be doing things to cool, like breathe, like obviously deep breaths. Um, but typically it has to do with removing yourself from what is stimulating you. Um, so the thing that is upsetting you um, is to pulling yourself out of that situation. And if that's, if you're, if two people are together, sometimes pulling yourself out can be inciting to the person that you're enraged with. That's why you're acknowledging that it's you. And another suggestion sometimes I give to a couple is just stop and say, I need a minute. Can we not speak for one minute? And just everybody stays quiet. And then you'll notice after that one minute, your body's going to be a little bit calmer. And if it's not, you might go right back up there. That's okay. Say, I need another minute. And that sometimes can really help both people in the party calm their systems down. That's great. There's also another episode 23 that you might check out on self-compassion. And uh, just one other th thought is you did mention that sometimes it's your partner that is the one that's enraged. And so those these same principles apply that um, self-compassion is still good and that you, you know, they will get their mind back. And uh, but you do deserve to be treated well. And sometimes you're the one that's going to have to take care of you, not them when they are not in their uh, full adult or full, fully functioning self. So you get to uh, um, be the anchor in those situations. So thank you very much for the question, Elizabeth. And um, if you haven't yet, please um, submit, you know, as a, a listeners out there, please submit comments, questions, topic ideas, and uh, any kind of feedback. We love listening to you too. So thanks for listening. We will see you around the bend. Come back. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Becky Mendeville edits this podcast and provides technical support. 